the American Photographic Artist Scope podcast hosted by APA's Diversity Committee. Our committee is charged with clearing a path to success for our members who are traditionally underrepresented or marginalized in the photo industry. We created the Scope Show as a platform to converse with members of these communities to understand the challenges they face and to celebrate the wins they make as image makers. Join us as we engage in frank conversations about race, about decolonizing the photo industry, about putting a focus on the LGBTQIA community, and much more. Let's start the show. Hi. I'm Juliet Wolf Robin, National Executive Director of American Photographic Artists. APA is a not-for-profit trade association of professional photographers. Our mission is to help those in our industry succeed. Our board members are professional photographers who lead to help lead the direction of the association. Sharing resources and information is will, what will help us thrive as a community. Thank you for being here today and being part of our community. Last year introduced us to a new form of outreach and we welcome the ability to reach more people in our conversation. This year, like last, APA will be hosting weekly webinars and conversations around the business of photography, including APA BizTalk, OpenTalk, APA LA's Navigating the Unknown, and our new monthly series focused on diversity and inclusion, Scope. Today's conversation is moderated by Martine Severin, an APA Chicago member and chair of our diversity committee. Martine is a Chicago and LA-based fashion and lifestyle photographer whose vibrant work aims to push boundaries and celebrate inclusivity. She's lived all over the world, including France, Belgium, England, and Boston, but her roots are tied to her home country of Haiti. Martina's co-host, or, or is the host of a podcast, This Is How We Create. So thank you, Martine, for moderating today, and thank you those who are joining us today, and I will pass it along. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome, especially on January 4th, which is a day where I know most of you are still recovering from the new year. So I, I'm so pleased to see all of you here. Um, welcome to the very first episode of APA. We could call it episode, we could call it webinar, we could call it the show, whatever. So thank you so much for coming here um, for the very first webinar of um, APA Scope, where we will talk about diversity and inclusion. And I think I'm going to call it DNI from here on. Um, for our first talk, I'm so pleased to moderate this, this discussion with two of APA's diversity committee members, Cassandra Plavukas and Christopher Malcolm. Welcome to this talk. And I'm so pleased to be able to chat with the, both of you about your work. Um, and I really want <clears throat> to, excuse me, dig into a little bit about how they uh, prioritize um, and practice DNI in their work. So we'll start by introducing Cassandra. So Cassandra Pravukas is an APA Los Angeles board member and diversity committee member. She is a commercial portrait advertising and editorial photographer who specializes in dance, fitness, fine art, and active lifestyle projects. And now over to Christopher. So Christopher Malcolm is a Los Angeles-based lifestyle, fitness, and activewear photographer and director. Some of his clients include Nike, Lululemon, Asics, and Verizon. 
He's also shot for publications such as Men's Journal, Runner's World, and Bicycling. He's won awards from groups like APA, IPA, PDN, and American Photography. This year, he's also joined um, the APA LA board member. He is an APA LA board member <laughs> and serves on the APA Diversity Committee. So welcome here to, um, to this discussion. I'm so pleased to be chatting with you. Um, this feels a little bit surreal because usually when I see both of you, we are um, joined by all, by all of our other diversity committee members. So I'm glad that um, as this, as APA scope goes on, all of our members are gonna come up and um, chat about diversity inclusion. And so that the world will be able to see all the wor work that we do behind closed doors or private Zoom meetings, I guess. Um, so I wanted to start out by talking about 2020, just a little bit, just a little. I know we all want to leave 2020 behind, but so I just want to talk about a short review of how 20, very short, of how 2020 went for you, work-wise, and about um, your work now and how you are thinking about attracting um, or in, incorporating diversity and inclusion in your work in a way that aligns with your values. Do we want to, well, ladies first? Yep. You want to sure. go first? Okay. Yeah, so, first of all, can everybody hear me okay? I want to make sure I'm not too loud or too yes. soft. So we're good. Um, so obviously, you know, 2020 was challenging to say the least, but in hindsight, I'm actually really glad you asked this question because it forced me to kind of sit down and put things in perspective. And it was wasn't until I did that that I realized that, yeah, 2020 sucked, but in hindsight, there were some highlights. I mean, I actually did work, um, which it's really interesting because at first I was thinking like, oh, I only shot one job, but I actually shot a lot more than that. I did personal work. I did an ad job. I did some stuff for spec. I did some e-com stuff. Um, and then like the personal work yielded, you know, a long-term, a bid on a long-term project. Um, inclusion in your daily photograph.com, an LACP exhibition, and then like a Herbert's Foundation a feature. So it's amazing. And then the ad job, um, again, I wanna you know, just say that that was unexpected, but that came by way of Heather Elder and Jim Baldwin and Create in Place. So I kinda wanna you know, say thank you to them. And I got to use my kids' talent, which was amazing. Challenging, but amazing. Um, so, you know, with that said, having done all of these things that I didn't really think I did. Um, the one thing that stood out to me the most was personal work. And I think if I'm looking at ways in which to, you know, align myself and get work going forward as it pertains to diversity and inclusion, I think for me personally, it starts with personal work. Like I have to, you know, create the kind of work First of all, I have, to, I have to make work to get work, right? And then I have to make sure that that work is work that I want to be seen, that I want to be associated with and recognized for. So that tells me that, you know, I have to find that, that balance because it's not easy to, you know, find that line when you're trying to work 
to make money, but at the same time, you're trying to work to make sure that you're taking on projects that, you know, are authentic to you and that, you know, that match up with your values. So for me, it's about finding that line, um, finding that balance and straddling that line between creating and being true to myself, but also making sure that I'm taking, you know, all these things into consideration. So I hope that answers the question. It does. And I, I would say for me, I mean, actually, I mean, 2020 is 2020. So I don't know, I don't know that anybody's gonna say 2020 is a fantastic year, but <laughs> but in, in general, I mean, I, I I feel incredibly fortunate. I mean, I kind of, I guess if the year were, were broke right down into, into four different phases. So the year started well for me, shot a couple campaigns early, um, was actually up north doing a, a shoot for Nike. I flew up, it was on, it was a full plane and I, and it was like the end of March, I flew home and there was like three people on the plane. So like, it, it was like, literally like it was, so a lot of stuff was happening kind of like early in the year, but it was good. I made a little bit of, you know, made a little bit there early then. Then of course, like everything, the whole industry shut down for about three months right after that part. So that was a little quiet, but it was interesting. Uh, Cause I think that was actually for me creatively at least was a positive as well because what I did is I started doing kind of like a self-portrait project during that time and I don't usually like being in front of the camera but I live alone and this is that I was the only I was the only model I had so I started doing that which was really kind of really build up things you know creative I, I felt um, even though it was just personal work it really uh, it really helped me creatively and it really helped me kind of grow and I was very, very happy with what I was creating then about a couple of months after that, I decided, okay, well, you know, with, you know, COVID being the way it is and just not necessarily going anywhere anytime soon, I need to try to figure out a way to apply those skills that I was learning to my clients. So I basically took all of that and then created a project based around kind of like what would be client work as a personal project called The Distance Between Us, uh, which kind of took those skills that I had learned. Uh, and put them into a, like a long-term personal project, which at first was just meant to be one shoot, but then ended up being like 12 different subjects in multiple locations, just all over the city and just kind of finding a different way of working. Uh, at this point, actually, so you add those two things together, I was both kind of building my skills, but also, uh, but also just getting better. And then fortunately enough, right around the time when the, when the state kind of reopened, I started getting more, um, bids and more campaigns coming back in. So I had a nice little rush there. And so all in all, I mean, it, it wasn't a great year, but uh, you know, I'm still here, I'm in business and I'm so there's only so much I can really complain about at that point. It's, it's so interesting to hear um, your reflections on, on 2020. And I think that May was, I was talking with a girlfriend yesterday and she was just saying about how like May was the time that completely, um, completely changed everything about how she saw the world and how she wanted to interact with society, at least as a black um, person in society, in American society, I should say more specifically. And all the, the, um, the she was becoming more impatient and she was unwilling to put up with, um, a lot of things, including um, bias, including um, racism, whether it's slight or not, or mac micro or not, um, or microaggressions, I should say. 
but I'm very curious, you know, as you've come out and now we're looking um, into, we're, we're now staunchly into 2021. I'm really curious about what your goals are to create diversity within your studio and with the jobs that you take on. And in thinking about diversity and thinking about inclusion, how are you different and how are you setting yourself up to um, want more from the world and want more from just want more in general? Um, I'll go first again on that one. Um, so in terms of taking on, you know, more diverse work and building a more diverse team, for me, that's a goal that I've always had. And I feel like that's something that I've always strived for and always managed to do. I will say, however, that since joining the diversity committee, that word diverse, diversity, inclusion has taken on new meaning. You know, as a result of being on the committee, I've now discovered that there are other marginalized groups that I hadn't necessarily taken into consideration before, you know, and I think a lot of that came out of the survey that we put out. Um, and there were some things that I think that all of us were like, wow, we hadn't considered that before. So, you know, with that said, I definitely feel like there is, you know, I, here I am thinking that I'm doing such a great job of being diverse and hiring people from different races and ethnicities and genders and, you know, identity groups. And I learned that, oh, there's these other groups here that I hadn't really, you know, considered or known about. So for me, I think, you know, even as a black woman, there's still room for me to be more diverse. Um, and so with that said, you know, I have to, you know, there's definitely going to be room for my, on my team to add people from other groups that I hadn't considered before. And then, you know, in terms of, you know, the tolerance, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, I can just, I'm just going to speak to something that happened with a job I shot last year and it was an e-com job and it came about by, you know, by word of mouth and it, everything, you know, as typically happens, you know, sometimes, especially last year, right. Cause things were just kind of up and down and here, there and everywhere. It all happened super fast. So I found myself on set with a predominantly actually all male um, team from creative to production and although I didn't feel in any way diminished by that aspect, I was acutely aware that I was the only female on set and that energy and there were things that happened on set. Again, I, it was nothing, there was never another, another a time when I was in danger, but there was definitely some moments where I felt uncomfortable. And I remember saying to myself, okay, if I have the opportunity to you know, work for this client again, I have some really long and hard thinking to do, right? I have some important conversations that must be had and I have some very strong decisions that need to be made. And so I remember being very, very um, concerned that, oh, well, if I do make these decisions and I do have these conversations, then they're not gonna wanna work with me again. So I think for me, you know, drawing the line in the sand and knowing who I am and what I'm about and what I stand for and what I represent and what I want to see in the world, it was an easy decision for me to walk away and not work with that client again. So I feel like that's where the answers lie. The answers lie in aligning myself with the kind of work that, you know, represents the values that I have. And if those values aren't in line and those clients aren't in line with, then 
I got to find different clients. I have to move forward. I have to, you know, as my mom would say, get to step in is what she would say, you know, because it doesn't, I'm not doing myself a service and I'm not doing other photographers like me a service either to keep, you know, putting myself in those positions and accepting those types of conditions and not learning from it and growing from it. So, you know, in a nutshell, that was kind of what I, you know, something that came about as a result of being hyper-focused now and, and, you know, being educated and, you know, vigilant and, and not standing for the nonsense anymore. Um, so I get it, you know, like what you just said um, about your friend and that's kind of where, you know, where I am right now. And, and I, I could go on and on and then we talked before about, I can be very verbose, but I'll stop right there because there's definitely more to that in terms of accountability and so on and so forth, but I'll, you know, stop right there. Well, I'll just, I'll kind of, well, I'll start by piggybacking on what you said about um, expanding, you know, your definition of diversity. Cause I think a lot of times diversity can get down to like an A, B conversation or a lot, there's a lot of different ways that that can be expressed. And I think it's important for all of us to, um, to take into account the breadth of that, you know, and there, there are, you know, types of um, groups that, you know, you may or you or I might not even be thinking about right now, but it's also part, you know, falls under that umbrella and it's worth, you know, worthwhile to think about. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of how I work it into my daily life or, or, or my career or it, you know, it all kind of like, it, to me, like there, there are three basic areas that you can affect uh, diversity as a photographer. So from a business standpoint, you know, you're a small business owner, so you can obviously hire people. Uh, you're not necessarily going to hire another photographer to shoot the job, but you hire assistants, makeup artists, digitex, people like that. So, so there's, the, there's a tangible way you can, you can do that. Uh, and so I've always kind of made a point of not necessarily, you know, making sure I have this number of this people, then, but just making sure to keep everybody, keep everybody, give everybody an equal chance, make everybody, give everybody at least, you know, a chance to kind of step up and be fantastic. Um, then, of course, obviously there's, so there's, so that's the practical way. The second way, uh, you know, you can affect diversity as a photographer is by, you know, what you shoot, who you shoot, how you shoot them. Uh, you know, because obviously the, the art we create is affected by, you know, kind of what society thinks of as aspirational or beautiful or what, you know, that, that, that all feeds into. But we also help drive that conversation with the art that we create. So it's in terms of trying to figure out, like, like how am I representing the people that are in front of the camera? And how is that, you know, hopefully affecting the world, you know, them in a positive way? How is that affecting the world in a positive way, hopefully? Uh, and then, of course, a third way uh, is simply, you know, kind of uh, mentorship. So, you know, I mean, there's the there's the famous, you know, phrase, you know, each one teach one, which essentially, you know, comes out of slavery and what happened, you know, during slavery, it was legal to teach people to read. So the, the phrase each one teach one came about because, you know, once one person would learn to read, they would teach the next person, they would teach the next person, they, they would teach the next person. And I think in the industry that we're in, where it's all about kind of, where it's a very entrepreneurial industry and where it's very much about people kind of putting in the work and creating the lives they want. I think it's important for each of us to help the photographers or, you know, creative people behind us uh, and share what we do know or 
sometimes what I don't know, but you know, you know, share a little bit of what I happen to know at this point in time with the next person. And then that person will do the same thing the person after that um, and kind of keep that going. And I think by doing that, you really, um, you help foster diversity, you help foster knowledge and you help lift other people up. Very true. So true. Oh, it's so true. Building that pipeline, which um, through our work at the with the diversity committee, it's one of our the things that we'll be focusing on um, in the next at our next meeting. Uh, but I wanted to just uh, ask one clarifying question. So we've talked about DNI quite a bit in the twenty minutes that we've been chatting. I wanted to um, go off script a little bit. To ask, what does it? What does that word diversity and inclusion? What does that mean to you? What does the term mean to you? And I'm curious as to how it's changed. And Cassandra, you, you touched upon that in terms of how you realize it changed with our work with creating the APA, um, uh, the survey. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about what that term means to you both. Um, so. Again, just going back to what Christopher said, I feel like, you know, there's like right now, especially there's all of the buzzwords, right? Structural and institutional racism, diversity, inclusion, whatever. And it, it's a constant evolution, you know, I mean, and again, I can only speak from experience and I like to, I give a lot of examples. And so here's an example. So I grew up, as you know, in New Jersey, we talked about that before we started and I grew up in what I thought was a very diverse neighborhood, you know, and a very diverse town. But it wasn't until I moved to New York City in 1989 that I realized, holy crap, like there's a lot more brown people. There's a lot more yellow people in, in between, you know? And so I remember I was living in, I think East Flatbush. And the first time somebody called me colored wasn't a white person, it was a black person who called me colored. And I just thought that that was really interesting. And I didn't take offense to it. I thought, huh, what, we look pretty much similar, you know, like pretty much exactly like whatever, like what makes her think that I'm colored, you know? So for me, that just sent me on this, you know, spiral of education, right? Like, where was she from? What did she look like? You know, what was her background? But that's just the type of person that I am. So I feel like as we learn and grow and develop as people, you know, whether we're photographers, educators, whatever we do in life, it's about education. And so that word means different things to different people. My mom, for example, thought that every, you know, Hispanic person was Mexican, you know, and it wasn't until I moved to New York City and saw that, like I mentioned before, that that's, there's all different types of people from Latin America. So it was my responsibility in Central America, you know, to come back and educate her. So I feel like as we're learning and growing and educating ourselves, we have a responsibility to learn and grow and to educate others. Once upon a time, diversity meant, you know, black and white men and women. And now we're learning that it's so much more than that. And so I feel like for me, it is, you know, it's constantly evolving. It means all of those things, but it also means, you know, and this might sound a little simplistic, but it means opportunity. I feel like if we approach work, life, relationships, whether those are personal relationships or 
business relationships from a point of education and understanding, then we, we can learn to appreciate diversity in all its shapes and sizes and forms and colors. And, you know, and my kids go to a school where they focus on diversity and, and that diversity at that level means diversity in economics. You know, we're accepting, they're accepting kids into the school who come from the upper economic region as well as the lower economic regions. And that's one of the ways in which they're staying diverse, you know? So I feel like it has a lot of meaning to a lot of people. And I feel like it evolves again, as we go forward and we learn more and we grow more. And like I mentioned before, you know, the fact that when we started this diversity committee that, and we did the survey, people were coming back and saying, hey, what about me? I'm, you know, I have a condition known as dwarfism. Am I included, right? How about me? I have, you know, I'm partially blind, but I'm still a photographer. Am I included? So, you know, it can be far and wide, you know, but I feel like at its core, it's something that is constantly changing and constantly evolving and something that we just have to grow with. And as long as we come from a place of understanding and education, I think that, you know, we can get there. You know, I don't know that I'm going to open a dictionary and find any one definition. Do you know what I'm saying? So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I should, you know, kind of piggyback on that. I think, um, I think it's important to kind of define diversity because a lot, you know, a lot of times certain people who might want to use diversity as a, a wedge issue uh, to separate people. But to me, kind of diversity and inclusion, I, at its, at its simplest point, all diversity and inclusion means to me is the idea that everybody, regardless of uh, race, gender, sexual orientation, anything, everybody has a shot to live to their best potential. You know, I, I don't think anybody in the world, you know, expects to get, you know, favors or anything like that. But basically, everybody just wants to get an even playing field. Um, and, you know, the world is not always an even playing field uh, for everybody. Uh, and if, I mean, the photo community isn't either, but the photo community is just an extension of the world. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. So to me, diversity and inclusion really just is a, is a way of being cognizant and a way of keeping in mind the idea that that person that's applying, you know, applying for the job, an assistant that's applying for the job or your client or, or the subjects or the person watching, everybody's just, you know, everybody's just an individual trying to do the best they can, you know, in the world. And if you can create a way in which everybody feels valued, everybody feels appreciated and everybody feels like they have a chance uh, to compete, you know, based on their merit, I think, you know, to me, that's what diversity and inclusion is about. It's about, you know, uh, giving people an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to have their skills and their talents recognized, um, you know, not as a favor, not, you know, because they're a part of this group or that group, but just because they're extremely talented and they're good at what they do and, uh, and they deserve the shot based on their work. Uh, you know, so I think that's really what, you know, diversity and inclusion means in a, in a photography sense to me. Yeah, it's about how it's about getting a seat at the table, getting the opportunity to be recognized, you know. That's what it's all about, I think. Yeah. Very well said, both of you. Um, I 
I've been digging into Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, and he talks about racism and inequality in terms of cancer. And so he often talks about it as it, um, that you know, racism, it's invasive, it's not essential. It cannot, it can be cured. Um, it needs to be treated, it needs to be, we need to be vigilant until all, every cell of it is gone. Um, and he also talks about hope. And I have a, a sentence that he's, he wrote in his book, I highlighted it. He said, um, once we lose hope, we are guaranteed to lose. Um, and I think in general, um, you know, in terms of what you were talking about, that we all want a seat or we need to have a seat at the table and we all deserve a seat at the table because you're 100% human, as your sweatshirt yeah. says. <laughs> um, and also based on merit as well, because, because you know, if, you, if you're good at your job, if you're talented, then you should actually get a seat at the table. I would love to talk about... Um, hope and about being vigilant. And I think the two of them, those two can coexist. I would love just to hear more about your hopes for the industry and for us to have a more inclusive industry. Um, I'm just gonna jump in. <laughs> so it, when we talk about hope, you know, I'm gonna approach it from the perspective of being a parent and a mom because besides the fact that I'm, you know, just by nature, I'm a hopeful and positive person. I think when you're a parent, it comes with the territory, you know, it's, it's part of the job description. Um, so for me, that's, you know, that's a given, but the word that I'm going to latch onto right now is vigilant because, you know, again, as parents, we want to stay vigilant as mothers, we want to stay vigilant, but when you have black kids, you don't have a choice but to be vigilant because you have to, you have to stay educated. You have to stay ahead of, right. So that you can anticipate and educate and protect. So for me, you know, being vigilant, being hopeful, being positive, it all kind of goes hand in hand. And, you know, I think that one of the ways that I kind of try to make sure that I'm, you know, entrenched is I focus on my kids. I'm like, okay, well, you know, cause they're at the age now where they know what's going on. They hear things, they see things, you know, they have conversations with their peers and I want to make sure that they're not in a bubble, you know, because again, I can only speak from experience, but I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, going to school, it's like, what I learned was history books written by white men. So that was like my history. Right. And so, but my mom, on the other hand, she grew up in the South. So she, her history was very different. She learned the black national anthem and she learned, you know, all the black, you know, literature and things of that nature. So if I didn't have her as my mother to educate me and teach me, I would have been messed up because I would only know about slavery. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like all these other things. And it's like, when you're a student and you're like in middle school and high school and those kinds of conversations come up, you know, and you're like one of, you know, the brown ones or whatever, it's very uncomfortable. And so you have to rely on how you were raised and how you were 
brought up and the education that's happening in your household. And so I have to be that for my kids. That means I have to read. I have to be hopeful. I have to stay vigilant. I have to protect them. I have to make sure that they understand and that they know what's going on and that they stay safe because, you know, there's, there's no guarantee that any of us for that matter can leave our homes and come back. Do you know what I mean? But when you're brown and every color in between, you know, it's like, it's, it's a real thing. And so that to me is, is the priority. It's like, I feel like you're going to hope it's going to come and it's going to go, it's going to go up and down. There's, you know, like last year I went, it was a roller coaster between the, all of a sudden being forced to stay at home and isolated from friends and family and, you know, because of the pandemic and then people dying and then the, you know, the, the, the murders, the killings, shootings, riots, protests, and all of those things, it was like this, you know, so there were, there were moments where I had hope and moments where I lost hope. There were moments where I was angry, you know, depressed, um, filled with grief, you know, but the one thing I didn't lose was my vigilance. I was like, okay, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> that was one thing that I kind of held on to. And it didn't come from a place of like, you know, anger or anything of that. It just came from a place of like, okay, what's, I'm ready, you know, like what's going on, you know, and making sure that I'm aware and, and staying alert and in tune so that I can make sure that my kids are safe because that's my priority. So I hope that that answered. Um, I could go on, but I'll let Christopher go. Yeah, no, no, I, I, that was a great answer. By that. I, I like that you answered it. But um, in terms of, in terms of, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I would say, you know, so, you know, I would say I'm a young black male, but I'm not that young anymore. But I'm, I'm a black male, so pretty much, you know, if, if I walk out my front door, I'm going to be running, reminded fairly quickly that I'm a black man in America. It's unfortunately, that just it, it would take about five seconds before something, you know, happens that will remind me of that. Um, but I think. So I don't necessarily, you know, but but I think for me, it's important to keep educating myself, not only on my own issues, but on, you know, what other people might be facing. You know, for example, like, you know, like, like a take, you know, like, like when the Me Too movement came out, for example, just, yeah, like, I'm a man. So obviously, I'm never gonna know exactly what a woman goes through. Uh, but I can listen, I can try to hear, I can try to um, examine what I've been doing which I may not even realize I've been doing in relation to that. You know, I can try to get better. Um, and I think that's really all I would expect from the rest of the world, you know, would be just to like basically listen and try to get better. I mean, I think, uh, you know, intellectual curiosity is one thing, is one of the things I think is just the most important thing for a human being to have is to simply learn about things, uh, you know, so that when, for example, we have the Black Lives Matter, um, uh, summer, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, call it that from last year. And people say, well, I had no idea that, you know, this was going on with police officers. And it's like, how would you have no idea? Like it's been going on, you know, for, for a while, like, you know, like, like you should be like, you try to try to consistently educate yourself. Cause not, not everybody knows everything. And I think people generally mean, mean well. Uh, but the idea is to try to keep learning things so that you can uh, form empathy uh, with other human beings and so that you can try to, um, you know, even if you're never necessarily going to be exactly in their shoes, try to understand where they're coming from 
and try to basically create a world where everybody, you know, feels a little bit, you know, hopefully comfortable and hopefully everybody feels in a good place. And that's not, not always possible. Um, but in terms of whether or not I have, um, or, you know, how I keep my hope up, um, you know, to me, I think, I think the important thing is just that everybody tries to do like their little thing. Like I was saying, like, you know, I'm trying to just, if I do my part, just trying to understand my own actions and how they affect somebody else. Um, I think when we think about, you know, racism or sexism or homophobia, you know, just as a large concept, you know, it can seem daunting because obviously one person can't just fix that whole problem by themselves. Uh, but I think if everybody acts individually and takes really into account what it is that um, their own beliefs, um, how those beliefs might have been shipped, might have been forged by their own experiences, whether or not those uh, beliefs are actually based in fact or, 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 you know, some kind of, it's a very long process of trying to understand, you know, kind of your own mentality and kind of, you know, um, how you're thinking about things and how some things you maybe you've been thinking about incorrectly. Sometimes some things you haven't been thinking about at all. You should have been thinking about, uh, and trying to find a way basically just to get, get better as an individual, you know? Uh, and then I think collectively, if everybody does their little part, um, then that's how we solve the big problem, you know, is basically by people taking their time to be introspective, uh, myself included, you know, I mean, I'm not preaching to the choir, you know, you know, myself included, you know, be introspective, think about, you know, the way you're thinking about things and how can you continue to grow, how can you, how can you continue to learn, uh, you know, where can you go for resources to learn more about somebody else's experience, and then once you've learned about that experience, try to relate it back to your own experience, and you might be able to find more of a commonality there. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a generally positive person, in, you know, in, 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 you know, in total. So, I mean, I, I see, you know, the world going in the right direction. It's just, you know, it's slow progress and it's going to be one person at a time. And, you know, as I said, the, the, the arc of, you know, history doesn't, it's not a straight line, you know, it's a, yeah, it wiggles. It, yeah, it, it, it wiggles. So, um, you know, I, I think you just, you just have to, you know, because I'm just saying just be diligent and just, just keep working you know, on yourself and working on, you know, your immediate little small circle. And then if everybody does that, then that circle grows into the big circle. So before we open the discussion to the broader, to, to all the other folks who, are, who have joined us, I'm curious as to some of the resources that you both use um, to stay vigilant and to stay connected and to stay hopeful. I know that, um, Sandra, you, you talked about some books. Um, I love a book. I always, <laughs> I'm always reading a book. I'd love to for you to share um, yeah. any resources that you may have to share with with the rest of the folks. So, you know, again, like my my family is from the south, and you know, although whatever we're experiencing here in California, you know, they're experiencing worse you know and so i have a lot of military people in my family and a lot of people who are vigilant and so they're i'm sorry vigilant so they're constantly sending me articles and newspapers and clippings and things to read and you know and i read those and i share those with my kids but in terms of books you know i have to say that it's really through my kids because like my son he's in high school now 
he's 15 and he even as a middle schooler he happens to go to a really awesome school and they've been walking the walk and talking the talk for a very long time and in fact their motto is made for this moment so a lot of the work that they're doing surrounding you know social change and you know and structural and institutional racism and all those things those are things that they've been doing for for years since their inception and they don't shy away from those conversations and so they have the entire community for example the school community from the teachers to the staff to the parents kids everything reading white fragility for example like that was one of the books that we read and then stamped uh the book by jason reynolds that was another one that we read so we read these books we have conversations we have discussions and i've just always you know again back to what christopher was saying i've always come from a place of needing and wanting to be educated i mean i mentioned earlier that i was like this close to being a teacher you know and having my master's degree whatever and my mom was very into education and reading everything that we can get our, that she could get our hands on and I was right there and so I had you know I don't know if this still exists but the Encyclopedia Britannica the big set like I had that like that was you know dictionaries like I was just always wanting to learn and know more and so you know I practice these things with my kids you know and so even before you know all buzzwords and all the things that are you know coming to the forefront now I always had, you know, tried to educate them about things. And, but, you know, as of, you know, the last couple of months, we went from, we keep a whiteboard in their bedroom and we scribble things and important, you know, ideas and concepts and words and things. And we have a, I don't know if you can see it over here. We have a, a light board over there. So we went from, you know, and so they have to, do the research about these words and then we have conversations and discussions at dinner and so you know the words were prior to the last you know half of the last year the words were like empathy and tenacity and it, you know and it changed now you see equity racism and all these things and so that has come about as a result of my kids having questions because of the things that they're reading and you know i'm a very involved parent a very hands-on parent and so if they're reading it i'm gonna read it you know what i mean and so those are some of the books that, um, you know, there's a, there's a list of others, but those are the two that stand out for me of books that um, we've, we've been reading as a family. And then of course, you know, organizations like Diversify Photo and Authority Collective um, are organizations that I rely on to, you know, stay educated and learn. And, you know, and I feel like there's others, but you know, right now I can't really think of them, but um, that's, you know, that's pretty much, kind of where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm going to have a that. few books to share. Say, what's that again? Oh, I was going to ask if he had a few books to share oh, for, or resources. For me? Oh, oh no, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm going to answer that question. But first, uh, when Cassandra, you talk about your, 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 uh, your, your children, that reminded me of back to the previous answer about things that keep me positive. Um, was uh, was young people, you know, because you know young people out there protesting, like you know, last year and doing stuff, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you know, like you know, that that you know, that they're not going to take it anymore. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna speak their mind. You know, some of the, some of the things that you know they were protesting about, like when I was a kid, like that would have been a good day if, I, if all I got was you know a, a microaggression. That would have that would have felt terrific, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know the fact that they're out there really getting, you know making their voices heard that makes me positive. But but back to the, okay, so back to the book question. So um, so actually I'll, I'll pick I'll pick one book that I, I'm a big I'm a big history person. So like I, the books I tend I tend to read a lot of um, you know nonfiction. So I, I like to learn about history and then have history inform me about the current moment uh, and kind of human behavior because a lot of times you know history doesn't necessarily repeat itself but it rhymes. So you can kind of learn a lot of different things that way. But there's one book that I always say, you, you, you two may have already read it, but I think every it should have been, it should be a basic um, high school text, which is uh, Warmth of Other Sons. Have, have I ever read Oh ever, my ever gosh, read? that book is so good. Exactly, yeah. Oh, Warm, time I missed it. The, the Warmth of Other Sons by yes. Isabel Wilson, I think. Yeah, it is, it is mm-hmm. such an amazing book, but basically, but you know, on the on the basic text level, the book is about uh, the Great Migration, when large numbers of Black folk, you know, left the South and moved up north and out west. But but that's really only on, on a kind of basic text level. I mean, really, the reason why I think that should be required reading in, for everybody is because it um, essentially shows that you know that migration is very similar to. The, the immigrant experience of many other people coming into the country. You know, so, so many, of the, many of the things, you know, uh, many people will talk about, you know, their ancestors that came from Europe, they came from the boat and they worked their way up, you know. And so it gives you get a, a kind of uh, a more of a comparison and you start to understand how the recent migration, you know, and some of the issues that were dealt with very recently still affect us today in terms of you know why there are you know wealth disparities why people live the way they live why it like it's such it's such a great book in terms of connecting everyone's humanity uh which i think is really the key to to building a diverse world and building a more understanding world is basically people starting with the fundamental principle that we're all human beings and we're all just you know we're all trying to you know to get something but I, but but the warmth of other suns. If you stay, if you, it, it'll 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 shift your your paradigm on a lot of different things. It'll really give you kind of a better perspective on why a lot of the things now are the way they are now. Uh, so, like to me, like that should be required reading for everybody. So that that's the book I, I will pick. For, for Thank you. Thank you for listening. Episodes of our APA Scope series are also available to view on the American Photographic Artists YouTube channel. You can find out about upcoming episodes and other programming on the apanational.org website.